politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and scorned taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house at Blaze Media for Friday, July 31st. And we have another month in the can as time moves on and the tyranny continues to grow. The lies and misinformation undergirding the corona fascism continues to spread more viral than any infectious disease. And at the same time, the anarchy continues. I thought we would have been done with this months ago, but it gets worse and worse and worse. So we're going to talk a lot more about the viral stuff we missed uh, yesterday together. I was out, but we certainly left you with a blockbuster show from Wednesday with Dr. Mark McDonald uh, really talking about the emotional and mental health issues from this ridiculous lockdown. We're going to talk about that in a minute, about the gross imbalance between a man-made plague and a God-made plague, and how we always used to understand this when we actually believed in God as a nation, which is why we never did things this insane when we had pandemics that were frankly worse, and we had less of, of an ability to deal with it in terms of the medical infrastructure that we had at the time. But I just first want to note a story here from our friends at lawenforcementtoday.com. Black Lives Matter protesters block highway while truck tries to rush pregnant woman to the hospital. This is in San Luis Obispo, uh, California. Video footage from a protest that was conveniently held on a California highway on July 21st showcased BLM protesters not allowing a truck to continue down the road while a pregnant woman was in transit to the hospital. Where are the police? Where are the police? Okay, the guy said she's going to give birth, get out of the road. Um, and basically, they called the pregnant woman ignorant. Reports have even surfaced that San Luis Obispo's own mayor, Heidi Harmon, joined the protesters in the illegal activity. So we now have mayors blocking streets. Again, this is insurrection, it's domestic violence that warrants even federal intervention. Isn't it interesting how states refuse to use the internal power of police to actually police rioting and looting and blocking of streets and sometimes menacing of motorists. Yet somehow we are told under the guise of internal police powers, states could regulate external interstate travel. You know, those of us going on vacation, oh, you can't travel here. You're 14-day quarantine. Completely unconstitutional. I don't have time to get into that today. But even under the Articles of Confederation, where they could regulate interstate commerce, they couldn't regulate interstate travel. That was actually explicitly spelled out as a as a citizen right, unalienable right, in Article 4 of the Articles of Convention. But, but this is where we are. Our Articles of Confederation. And yet here's where we are. The police are now only used to enforce voodoo, superstitious, dark age rituals 
that the more evidence that mounts in the world that these mask mandates and lockdowns don't help, but they kill people, destroy liberty, destroy the economy, destroy mental health, the more they double down on them. How many days do you think they're going to mandate a mask plus a shield and then a hazmat suit? I warned you, and now Burks and Falky are, are both saying they're going to mandate it. But one thing's for sure. That same juggernaut of police, they're not going to be with you when it comes to protecting you from when the police are actually appropriately supposed to display a show of force. And that's why today, before we get to our main part of the show, I want you to join me in supporting our next advertiser. We the People Holsters. What if I told you guys, right here, right right now, that you could get the cheapest quality holster, support the Second Amendment, support your own self-defense at the most critical time in our nation, support a product that is completely made in America, free shipping. Would you turn that down? Look, with record numbers of people buying guns and ammo, I don't need to tell you guys that you need to buy a gun and carry if you are in a state where they abide by the Constitution. You're insane if you're not doing that. I think, I think you've all seen that the police will not be there for you. That, that has become very evident. But what a lot of people forget is you need a quality holster. Especially a lot of um, newer people, people that are new to firearms, they're very nervous about carrying And that is all a matter of having a quality holster. Holsters are always a balance of versatility and security. You want it really locked in there. And and, and that's the thing. It's a psychological thing. You're scared. Oh, it's going to go off this and that. I mean, especially especially to newbies. When you have a We the People, People holster, it has that perfect balance of security. But the versatility to grab it, both in terms of self defense or, you know, when you're at the range, out of the waistband, um, Holsters, which are usually recommended for that, inside the waistband holsters for for uh, self defense, and not just for carrying. I mean, I'm increasingly wearing my We the People holster inside because look, you don't know when the mob's going to get you. If you want to be safe, I would need you guys to go to wethepeopleholsters.com forward slash cr. They start at just $39. Again, these are the most quality holsters in the industry. I usually shop around for ammo, other things, other accessories. I'm not particular. But when it comes to holsters, I go with We The People. Not just because they're patriotic. It's all made in America. But also because of the quality. They have thousands of options to choose from. I have never seen... I've never had a... um, type of gun that they didn't have a holster for. So, you know, I right now I'm actually carrying my Canik SF Elite. It's a TP9 series. You know, it's not one among the most common guns. I like it because it's a, a single action striker fire. Very rare. Lots of fun at the range. Um, and they have right-handed, left-handed, outside the waistband, inside a waistband. Uh, the propriety clip design allows for you to easily adjust both the cant and the ride for your holster that will fit comfortably and securely. I mean, I love that sound. You pull it out, 
and a really nice click. Bam. Love it. Um, I cannot say enough about their products. So here's the deal. You go to wethepeopleholsters.com. Free shipping. If you do wethepeopleholsters.com forward slash CR. And then you put in promo code CR, you get $10 off. So $10 off plus free shipping with this quality. Folks, you cannot get better than that. Satisfaction guaranteed. If it's not perfect, if it's not a perfect fit, for whatever reason, if the gun didn't fit, send it back for a total refund. We, the peopleholsters.com forward slash CR. We, the peopleholsters.com forward slash CR. Offer code CR. So that's in terms of the anarchy side. The lack of security. But what about the tyranny? I want to talk to you today about 1957. Literally the opposite of the insanity that we see today, where we actually followed science, but also believed in God. I first want to just preface by saying, Deborah Burks was on Fox over the weekend, and she said, if the governors and mayors of every locality right now would mandate masks for their communities and every American would wear a mask and socially distance and not congregate in large settings, we can really get control of the virus. Folks, the worst hotspots have been doing this. Heck, in Hong Kong and Japan, they have those things glued to their mouths and have had that glued to their mouths for months. Yet, it hasn't helped and cases are soaring. As Yogi Berra always said, There's no difference between theory and practice in theory. Except in practice, there's a big difference. (laughs) See, I don't need some fancy study. The greatest study we have is what we are seeing with our eyes. You can't simulate more of a rigorous mask mandate and more ubiquitous compliance than what you have in Asia and places like Israel. I mean, Israel, they had a Anne Frank-style lockdown there. They they literally couldn't leave their homes. And then when they stopped it, they were wearing masks beyond belief. Didn't help one iota. They always understood this back in the day. What we are doing now with this insanity, rather than focusing on those that are sick quarantining only those that are sick, treating only those who are sick. When 99% get it very mildly or asymptomatically, we are creating more death and mayhem than you can imagine. Over the weekend, it came out that GDP has gone down 33%. 33% in the second quarter after going down 5% in the first quarter because this hit the tail end of it. Those numbers are unfathomable. But it's not just money. The Bureau of Economic Analysis, in conjunction with the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics, they have a formula that for every $17 million lost to the economy equals another death. It's the stress, the suicides, the drug overdoses, the divorces... Depression. I mean, we've seen this since the Great Depression. If you look at the GDP lost 
is about 2.3 trillion. I need to get the exact numbers. I haven't calculated yet. I'm just doing it in my head as we're recording here. 2.3 trillion. If you do the math, it's going to come out to be at least 130,000. 130,000 deaths due to the lockdown. Okay? Now, when we're talking about these deaths, we're talking also about a lot of younger people. Remember, most of what we're seeing with the um, virus is that it, it kills people who are very old or who are really going to die within the year because they're immunocompromised. And everyone's talking about Herman Cain, and God, God bless him, may he rest in peace. He had stage four colon cancer. Okay, so, I mean, those are the people it hits. You want to try to um, shield them, those people. But again, you got to achieve herd immunity. The quicker you achieve it among non-immunocompromised people who don't have stage four colon cancer, the quicker you could save those people. So actually, we're killing more of those people too. But that that's part of dying of cancer is that you don't have an immune system. So there's a lot of ways you can die. But when you're talking about the lockdown deaths, these are younger people. These are younger people. So when you're talking about years of life lost, okay, you're talking about several million years of life lost. I have to do the math, but several years of life lost. What did I say? Several million years of life lost. It's going to dwarf the years of life lost from COVID. That's the reality. It's going to dwarf the years of life lost. When you look at what's going on with the drug overdoses, you know, someone sent me just the drug overdoses alone in Nashville, Tennessee, are about 50% of the COVID deaths. So that's just one avenue of lockdown deaths is drug overdoses. In June, they were up 46% nationwide. And by the way, the sick irony is a lot of them are going to be designated as COVID deaths. Truly sick. We always understood that this is insane. You look at Sweden, they're done. They're done. And now they have herd immunity. Minimal deaths and no lockdown deaths. There was a time where we did this. 1957, there was something called the Asian flu. It started out, yes, you guessed it, in China. was first detected, I believe, in Singapore or Hong Kong. It was, you know, in the winter, spring, and then it migrated to America. There were some cases in the summer. And then it broke open in August, September, October. Kind of died down November, December. And then there's a mysterious spike January, February into early March of um, basically 1958, where it's never been confirmed it was the Asian flu, but it doesn't seem like it was the seasonal flu, so it's unclear. 
a lot of people are comparing what's going on to the Spanish flu. And, and we said from day one, just the fatality level, the fact that the quality of health care, the fact that the median age of those who die from this are often above life expectancy, whereas then it was 28. You cannot compare the two. It's more comparable to 1957 Asian flu. And I did a deep dive into what it was like back then, the 1957 flu. I asked my father, and I want you guys to try this social experiment on, I mean, if you're old enough, try it on yourself. If it's on your parents um, or anyone else you know who lived during it that are at least old enough to remember it. I said, what was it like to live in the 1957 Asian flu? My father was like, what's that? What was it like to live in the 1968 Hong Kong flu? Well, I heard of Woodstock and the riots. I heard of the 73 oil crisis, but uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I said, Dad, I mean, you, you were in second grade in the 57 crisis. You were in college in the 68 crisis. My kids, my middle son who was... Uh, in second grade when this started, he sure as heck will remember this for the rest of his life. But that's the point. Because we actually believed in God and science back then. You see, the Asian flu was a form of H2N2 influenza. And it is estimated to have killed 116,000 Americans. But I want to put this in context for you. So first of all, if you adjust for today's population, it's roughly, it would be the equivalent of 200,000 people dying. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than that. You see, if anything, that on net was more deadly because there, there was a much smaller pool of elderly people living. So let, let's say that the population almost doubled, not quite doubled since 1957, almost doubled, less than doubled. But the population of seniors, so I looked at the population of people 75 or above, age 70, there were only 4.9 million people in the country 75 or above back then. Now there are 23 million people. So while the general population was slightly more than half of what it is today, the over 75 age group was one-fifth of what it was today. If you look at the over 90 population, it was one-twelfth of what it was in today's advanced senior population. Right? It was very rare to have people over 90 back then, not so much now. So we had a much larger pool of people to burn through who are going to die within a year that it seems like these viruses really fed out. So if anything, if you adjust... Given the, the small numbers of elderly people relative to, to today, if anything, the death rate was really much higher. It generally did target for death people over 65 back then. It was similar to today. But there were a couple of key differences. Number one, it's believed that, that up to 25% of everyone in America had it at some point, just over a three-month period. And while it does appear there was an asymptomatic element, it was a lot more, you know, symptomatic. In other words, you know, while the death rate seems to be somewhat similar, but it was much more disruptive because here, among those that don't get that, pretty much you're going to get a cold 
were, were asymptomatic, which is a tremendous share, especially below a certain age. Whereas back then, you got very sick. I mean, you were, you were out for a full week, and it was, it was, it was the full-blown flu with high fever, the chills, muscle aches. Again, some people get that from this too, but I, I believe it was a much larger share. And while it generally was only older people that it killed, it did rope in more younger people than this did. because. So again, first of all, kids were like every flu. They were a primary vector, both in terms of transmission and then getting very sick. They got very sick from it. They didn't really die that often. They got very sick. But there was a very scary element to this that was more similar to the Spanish flu than COVID. Pregnant women seemed to die from it. Pregnant women were very dangerous. It was associated with them dying, causing birth defects. And then it does appear some infants did die, meaning not school-age kids, but infants. Could you imagine if you had that today? A study published in Minnesota in 1959 found that nearly 20% of deaths that occurred during pregnancy during that kind of period of time, it was the Asian flu. Put another way, one half of all women of childbearing age who died during the epidemic were pregnant. So again, in general, it didn't target younger people for death like the Spanish flu did. It was closer to the COVID-19 in terms of that. But it did target pregnant women. That's very scary. Okay? So, I don't know if this is true, if I could assert this. But for argument's sake, let's say this has a steeper gradient at the top. That this might even be more dangerous for elderly than that was relative to the degree of healthcare we have nowadays. In other words, obviously, that was more dangerous in terms of 1957 healthcare. But let's say if you compare apples and apples, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to cede that point. But if you look in totality, there were many more ways that this was more dangerous than COVID-19. And by the way, we don't know. I mean, if you would have counted and obsessed about it, which you're going to see we didn't, the Asian flu the way we did here, I'm sure the death toll would have been contrived like it is now. It would have been even higher. So what happened was the virus seemed to really be gaining steam in August. And they met a group of uh, state and federal health officials. They met during, I believe, the last few days of August. It was called the Association of State and Territorial Health Officers. They met in Washington to plan out what to do. Most of this that I'm going to tell you comes from the research of D.A. Henderson. He wrote this in a paper in 2009, shortly before he died, with the onset of H1N1, the swine flu, to glean lessons from what we did. And basically, this guy, by the way, D.A. Henderson, is credited with eradicating smallpox. So this guy's in the Hall of Fame of Epidemiology. And basically, basically, they noted what we see to this very day. The science hasn't changed. 
they noted that you cannot stop the spread of something like this. And remember, they had the Spanish flu painfully in their minds. I mean, you look at the policymakers at the time, you know, they would have been kids during the Spanish flu. They, they, they remembered this. But, but what they did understand is that the healthcare was better. They did have the ability to get vaccines, especially for a flu-like thing. And to treat it. And that was their goal. Make sure the hospitals could deal with it. Let's come up with a vaccine and let life go on. Quote, this is what they resolved at the conference. Prevention, which is the absence, which in the absence of effective means to stop the spread of infection, resolves itself into an immunization program. Rather than panicking everyone and counting every last case, they recommended, quote, Hospital admissions should be limited as far as people to those cases of influenza with complications or to those with other diseases which might be aggravated by influenza. Because it, like this, it affected it, it, the, the deadly aspect was mainly with those with serious underlying conditions. Again, you had that, that scary aspect of pregnant women, actually. But beyond that, that's what it was. No, no, doesn't, doesn't that sound familiar? There's healthy cases and there's serious cases. Don't treat them all the same. You see, health officials understood what our leaders today clearly don't. Which is that for a virus that only seriously targets certain people and is broadly mild. And by the way, broadly today is even milder than what they were dealing with. The worst thing you can do is treat every case like a serious case. Needlessly stressing our medical system risking spreading the virus in hospitals to vulnerable people vulnerable people because remember people are in hospitals because they're vulnerable cancer heart other things you don't want nosocomial spread it was all about treatment where it was needed and mainly concocting a vaccine for the vulnerable henderson observes that at the meeting they stated quote there is no practical advantage in the closing of schools or the curtailment of public gatherings as it relates to the spread of the disease. This was in recognition that they saw no practical means for limiting the spread of infection. Okay, they understood that. And life went on. It spread through the country like wildfire. It killed 116,000 people. Today's population is 200,000. And in, in, in numbers, a lot, you know, more people under 65, although, you know, the plurality were over, I believe plurality were over 65, killed some pregnant women. No one remembers it because they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything disruptive. And again, unlike with COVID-19, although children rarely died from the Asian flu, they got very sick. It was estimated that over 60% of students had clinical illness during the autumn. So they often had administrative shutdowns, like not because it was a, a law shut down schools. It's just like everyone was out. And, and you see it. I, I've seen it you know, with my own kids during flu season. There are times when 50% of their class is out a certain week in January or February. That just happens. In fact, Henderson notes, based on his research, 
that there was, quote, a complete absence of protective antibody among children and young and middle-aged adults. They had no immunity to it. Unlike today, where it seems like there's partial immunity. So they got sick. They didn't really die from it, but they got sick. So it was ironic. Older people actually had more immunity to it. But then it was among those that were immunocompromised, so then it was worthless. And then it's the other way around. You're obviously more vulnerable than kids. But despite the high level of absenteeism, schools went on, workplaces went on. The Surgeon General said the epidemic was, quote, not alarming. He estimated that the fatality rate was no more than, quote, two-thirds of 1%. Now, folks, in most areas of the country, we are seeing it's really 0.2.3 for COVID-19. So just keep that in mind. And he says, yes, hospitals were crowded, but there was always enough surge capacity to deal with the patients. Quote, the Maryland State Department of Health, which appointed the Influenza Advisory Committee in June 1957, referred to pandemic cases as being, quote, mild diseases, noting that the virus does not cause more serious illness than other types of flu. It simply affects more people. Sounds very familiar. Well, Daniel, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, yeah, I mean, the equivalent of today's population, 200,000 people did die from it. But for the most part, with 25% of the country, I mean, 25% of the country getting it, that would be the equivalent of like 110 million people getting it now. I believe we're up to about 50 million, I would say. Which is why I think it will stop soon. Listen to how eerily similar this is to today's dynamic. Henderson notes that no efforts were taken to close down the economy and quarantine people. Quote, quarantine was not considered to be an effective mitigation strategy and was obviously useless because the large number of travelers and the frequency of mild or inapparent cases. The exact opposite here. They're saying, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're a silent spreader. No, that's the exact opposite. You target those who need the treatment and that is it. The notion that you were ever going to shut down and notice how they say it was impossible to stop travel. This was 1957 type of travel. The notion that you would shut things down is absurd. He noted, closing schools and limiting public gatherings was not recommended as strategies to mitigate the pandemic's impact except for administrative reasons due to the high level of absenteeism. In early October, the Nassau County Health Commissioner in New York stated that the public schools should stay open even in an epidemic and that children would get sick just as easily out of school, which we're seeing is very true. We saw that in the Spanish flu. We're seeing that any other time. Most people catch it at home. So that's another thing. It's not that kids don't get it. It's that kids get it extremely mild, milder than the Asian flu, by the way. Death is, is, is much rarer than the flu, and hospitalization is rarer than the flu. But they could get the cases, but the extent they're... See, there's a school's going to open, and they'll say, oh, this is cases. They're, who says they're getting it from school? So that's another very similar thing. Most of the transmission occurring at home. And again, remember that back then, kids got sicker from the Asian flu and also they transmitted it much more. They never thought to close schools. A lot of people tell me, oh, Daniel, well, that was, wasn't as scary because they had a vaccine. They, they developed quickly a vaccine. It is true. They developed it. 
But Henderson notes he, that it was, quote, too little too late. It was only available to 17% of the population, was only 60% effective, and wound up circulating after the virus had already peaked. Quote, given the limited amount of vaccine available and the fact that it was not more than 60% effective, it, it is apparent that the vaccine had no appreciable effect on the trend of the pandemic. So that really was not much of an issue. I want to read to you just one paragraph that gives you a 30,000-foot view of what went on there. And again, this is from Henderson's paper that he wrote in 2009 in preparation for the swine flu, gleaning lessons from 1957. The 1957-58 pandemic was such a rapidly spreading disease that it became quickly apparent to U.S. health officials that efforts to stop or slow it or slow its spread, were futile. Thus, no efforts were made to quarantine individuals or groups, and a deliberate decision was made not to cancel or postpone large meetings such as conferences, church gatherings, or athletic events for the purpose of reducing transmission. No attempt was made to limit travel or to otherwise screen travelers. Emphasis was placed on providing medical care to those who were afflicted and on sustaining the continued functioning of community and health services. The febrile respiratory illness brought large numbers of patients to clinics, doctors, offices, and emergency rooms, but a relatively small percentage of those infected required hospitalization. End quote. (laughs) Doesn't that sound very eerie? Very similar. Are they really a clinical level of hospitalization, or is it just whatever? You know, okay, people get sick. And now it's even more because we're testing every darn thing, and people would never even care coming in. And yes, while the health system was certainly much better than it was during the pre-antibiotics era of the 1918 Spanish flu, I think we'd all say it was primitive compared to today's standards. Yet we managed, and we thrived. Henderson concludes, the overall impact on the GDP was negligible and likely within the range of normal economic variation. Here we are today with a worse GDP decline than the Great Depression. And with that, all of the deaths. You see, folks, what we didn't have back then was mass media, social media, and the incurable virus of evidence-free panic porn propagation to induce an epidemic of fear and paranoia. While this current virus is worse than recent flu epidemics, I'll always grant that. It's much more in line with the Asian flu and its sister, the 1968 Hong Kong flu, killed a little slightly less people per capita, but similar to that as well. 1968, you had the riots, you had Woodstock, which occurred during the peak of the virus, but you're unlikely to remember the epidemic. And again, as I keep saying, three years before Henderson wrote this paper on the 57 flu in 2006, he wrote an analysis of what a lockdown would look like. And he said, there are no historical observations or scientific studies that support the confinement by quarantine of groups of possibly infected people for extended periods in order to slow the spread of influenza. Experience has shown that communities faced with epidemics or other adverse events respond best and with the least anxiety when the normal social functioning of the community is least disrupted. And folks, how amazing that when you dig up 
The New York Times. Editorial, September 17th, 1957. This is during the peak of the Asian flu. Quote, let us all keep a cool head about Asian influenza as the statistics on the spread and the, and the virulence of the disease begin to accumulate. Thank God cooler heads prevailed because they understood back then what King David understood last chapter in Kings 2 that I'd rather fall in the hands of God because he is merciful than in the hands of man. Than a man-made plague of shutdowns, lockdowns, tyranny, totalitarianism, panic, fear, paranoia. It was obvious that when it comes to a respiratory virus that spreads like the flu, unless you early on identify patient zero and where he came from and that there's no others, there's really not much you can do. It's not like something like Ebola, which is very deadly, but it's not as transmissible, so you try to stuff that early on. It's going gonna, it's gonna to run its course. And to this day, we see that. Israel locked the hell out of people and destroyed their country. And then even when they ended that lockdown, they did the model mask wearing. Didn't work. Didn't work. It's going to spread who it spreads to. It's going to do what it does. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to add to God's plague a man-made plague? That's the only question here. You see, if you want to know where this is coming from, all this utter, utterly insane testing. And by the way, even CDC is now, CDC on their website, they now say it's insane to have all this mass testing. They actually have a line in recommendations, role of PCR testing to discontinue isolation or precautions. For persons who are severely Im- immunocompromised, a test-based strategy could be considered. But for all others, a test-based strategy is no longer recommended except to discontinue isolation and precautions earlier than would occur under the strategy outlined in Part 1. Part 1, they say, that after 10 days, you are not infectious. And, and a new study came out, and really, for most people, it's after day 6. So after 10 days, there's no reason to test and test because the viral shedding, you're shedding dead cells and the stupid PCR tests pick it up. They pick it up months later. Heck, with a lot of people, they're probably picking up other stuff that's not even the virus. And it sows even more panic. It's just utterly insane. And again, next week, I'll talk about this more. I'll have a piece coming out. But this is also leads to the legal and constitutional aspects. States, yes, they have a power to internal police to quarantine. But the definition of quarantine means to quarantine the ill, not someone who doesn't have symptoms. We've never done that before. A new study, very comprehensive study, came out that it turns out asymptomatic is likely very little transmission. There's greater transmission the more sick you are. And um, we, we don't get it. But where is this coming from? The corporate masters. New York Times, corporate insiders pocket a billion dollars in a rush for coronavirus vaccine. 
But it's not just the vaccine. It's those providing the testing, the contact tracing, so they can get rich off of this. So they run the corporate media. China also, which provides a lot of the PPE. Oh, you got to wear a mask. Well, why are cases going up in China then? You know, the Nordic countries are the only ones that are actually acting rationally. This is from Yahoo News. As most of the world either orders or recommends the use of masks, with even U.S. President Donald Trump seen wearing one, Nordic nations are the remaining holdouts. And um, basically, they say it's nonsense. Utter nonsense. Dutch government advises against it. The decision was announced by Minister for Medical Care Tamara Van Ark after a review by the country's National Institute of Health. The government will instead seek better adherence to social distancing rules after a surge in coronavirus cases. Quote, because from a medical perspective, there is no proven effectiveness of masks, the cabinet has decided that there will be no national obligation for wearing non-medical masks. He argued wearing masks incorrectly together with worse adherence to social distancing rules could increase the risk of transmitting the disease. So we think that if you're going to use masks, then you must give good training for it. And that's true. I mean, that really is following the science. Because guess what? There is no greater study on this. I mean, again, we've had mass studies for the flu, 10 random randomized clinical trials showing they don't make a difference, zero showing they do. But this is even better. Because you want to simulate does a mask mandate help? Not some sort of lab thing or even even a controlled study. There's no greater controlled study than what has been going on in the Philippines and Hong Kong and Singapore and Japan and China and Israel and Australia and now some European countries like Spain that have mask mandates and it's spreading at least in the areas outside of Madrid that didn't have saturation levels. It's spreading no matter what they do. They were wearing it for months. Same in America, California, Miami. This subhuman dirtbag, Lockdown Larry, in my state of Maryland, everyone has been wearing masks here, inside. Now he's like, outside if you can't keep six feet, outside. So are you suggesting, Lockdown Larry, that the reason why it spread is because of, of outdoor transmission now? I mean, because that, that, that must be what you're implying. Because they've already been wearing it everywhere indoors. New York Times heat map, near 100% compliance, months already. It doesn't work. And now Fauci and Burke's like, hey, maybe you should decorate a face mask on that too. Uh, I mean, a a face shield. Because they now discovered, oh yeah, it could get into your eyes. Yeah, genius. Well, it could get into your nose and throat too with the mask. As they admit, they say, they say I have to wear one because... I might give it to someone else, but but you're wearing the mask. Oh, it could get through. So if it could get through with stagnant molecules, then certainly the velocity of the person transmitting it, who is spitting on it, talking on it, the windpipe is blowing, certainly a cough and a sneeze. You mean to tell me the mask is going to block that? But it can't block on the receiving end, stagnant, floating virons in the air? 
I mean, th- th- this is literally, it, 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 it's a middle-aged superstition. This has become like, you know, I'm a man of the cloth. It's a new religion. I'm a man of the cloth. This whole thing is just unbelievable. But you know what? If you had to read one story for the weekend, read this one from Forbes magazine, July 30th. You must not do your own research when it comes to science. It's a beautiful, I don't have time to read it, but you guys got to read it. It's unbelievable. You are not allowed to do your own research. Notice how they're scared. They have to censor, say you're not allowed to trust the experts. When the experts are making clowns out of themselves. This is really about settled science. What are they scared of? Why are they so scared? Where is this coming from? And most importantly, where is it headed? Folks, that's what I'll leave you with for the weekend. A lot more next week. We'll have a full week. Again, go to our Facebook pages and let's organize at a county level, at least in areas where Trump won, to fight back against the dark ages, mass mandates, to provide the real science, the real truth, the real belief in God, the real faith in our people, the faith in our democratic republic, restore democracy. Harwood Citizen Sanctuary is the public page. Private page, again, is Minutemen Speakeasy. Till next week, same time, same place, I'll be here. Stay armed with your We the People holster. Stay empowered and stay knowledgeable. 